When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Sunday, November 6, 2022. Welcome to the 38th episode in this series from Midas Touch and 5-Minute News called The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. You can subscribe to this show not just as a video, but as audio if you want to take it around as a podcast, in addition to my daily 5-Minute News podcast on iTunes or wherever you get yours. Joining me today is Ruth Ben-Gatt, the Professor of History at NYU, the author of Strong Men, Mussolini to the Present, and publisher of Lucid, a Substack newsletter about threats to democracy. Ruth, welcome back to The Weekend Show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So uh, I know you're very busy at the moment, and I can absolutely see why. Uh, An expert on the fall of democracy and the rise of fascism is uh, undoubtedly in demand. Uh, And I shouldn't even be saying that with a smile on my face, because it's a a tragedy. In fact, I would prefer if you were never busy, um, because we all crave a safe, you know, a safe country to live in. And America is increasingly unsafe. Um, So we're going to look to the midterms. We're just a couple of days away from the vote uh, here in the United States. 291 Republicans, which is a majority of the party's nominees this cycle, have questioned the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Uh, Election deniers are running for offices up and down the ballot that could play a, a critical role in future elections. Uh, They're running to be governors who play a role in enacting election rules. They're running to be secretaries of state who oversee voting and ballot counting. And as attorneys general who are responsible for investigating allegations of fraud. I mean, this is your country rather than my country. I'm just an onlooker. I mean, Mm -hmm. as somebody who has studied history, who, who is seeing it play out in their own lifetime, did you ever think that you would be witnessing the fall of American democracy in this way? No, I, I didn't. Although <clears throat> when when Trump was elected, um, I had an intimation that he would bring sweeping changes to America because that's what strong men do. They they shift the whole political system. They break every type of norm and taboo, and they unleash processes of lawlessness and corruption and violence that are unpredictable. So what we're seeing now, just to talk about the election system, is a kind of process of what I call autocratic capture, where you you take control um, of the electoral system and in ways that you know, today, today you don't shut down elections like in the 20, 20th century dictatorships outside of China or North Korea. You know, you, you come to office through elections and then you have to 
figure out how to game the system to get the results you need. And so autocratic capture of the election system is what we're living through now. And the particular mechanism of the American case has been the big lie, right? And Trump used this for his own self-serving purposes that, you know, he won the election and not Biden. But the beauty of the big lie is that it's portable. <laughs> and so any GOP politician can become a mini Trump and say that they're not going to concede. Um, and so it's a propaganda campaign, but it's also a practice of corruption. If you don't concede, that's something you're doing. It's not just something you're stating or believing. And this is something that's happening in Brazil right now. Jair Bolsonaro is, has kind of not really conceded. He's allowed his people to enact the transfer of power, which is not something that Donald Trump did, but no. he's not actually saying it out loud. I mean, does a lot of this have to do with the, the individual, the ego, the narcissism? Yeah. Or do you think, you know, is it about the, 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 an individual person and their their psychology, their pathology, or is it about a kind of desire to bring down a country on their own terms? It's, it's, all, of, it's all of the above. And, you know, I, when I turned in my book in the summer of 2020, uh, of course, it was before the 2020 elections, so I didn't know what would happen, but I predicted that Trump wouldn't want to leave office quietly because the the character and the ego demands of this kind of personality are such that leaving office is like a psychological danger to them. It's like a, it's like a death, a, a form of death for them. It's also very dangerous because they're all corrupt and it means they're liable for prosecution. That's what happened to Berlusconi. He finally was forced to leave office in 2011 because of the Eurozone crisis. And then he was able to be prosecuted and he was convicted in 2013. So in, in the case of Brazil, it's very interesting because um, what we see is, no, he hasn't fully conceded and his ego is such that he's not going to be able to make a clear statement. He did make some kind of speech and clearly had he been able to get the military and other institutions to play his game, um, and stage some kind of January 6th equivalent, he would have done so. So the fact that that hasn't happened means that um, he, he doesn't have, despite stacking his government with the military, uh, it doesn't look like he has the, um, the support to do that. We'll, we'll see what happens, but timing is everything. And the fact that he did make some stab at, at a concession speech, we can't expect someone like Bolsonaro to actually say, I am a loser. <laughs> that that's not how they roll. That's the word, isn't it? That's that's the word that they all well, fear. Yes, and I, and, and I guess that's why Donald Trump doesn't want to announce his candidacy for twenty twenty four because he fears losing. Well, yes, and I I also wanted to add the big lie, the genius of the big lie for Trump, who has a formidable personality cult. It's really you know we're going to look back in history at this time. It's really extraordinary that he was able to construct a personality cult of that um, power and durability in an open society with a pluralistic media, right? And the beauty of the big lie for his fanatical followers who still worship him, it, it prevented them from having to reckon with the fact that he's a loser. <laughs> so they still can see him as the big man, the infallible man, because the personality cult, you have to be the man of the people, you're relatable, 
you know, they can, they can kind of be attached to you. Um, but you also have to be the man above all other men. So in the case of Trump, you know, you had Orthodox Jews and Christians saying he's there by the will of God. You know, he's like the savior. I'm alone. I alone can fix it. So the big lie meant that these followers didn't have to um, live through the fall of their idol. People who live in reality, not, <laughs> not in their kind of upside down world, but you and I who live in reality, hopefully, you know, we, we, we hopefully live in reality. We can see through all of the propaganda. We can see through all of the lies. I can tell when Trump is lying. It, it's, it's like, it's obvious. It's all over his face. He's a terrible liar. But millions of people don't. They don't see it or they choose not to hear it. They buy it. If you look at the polls for the midterms right now, it's neck and neck. Despite mm -hmm. all of this election denial, despite January 6th, despite political violence, despite all of this rhetoric, Americans love it. They love it. They love guns. They love yeah. violence. They love candidates who are rebels. It's, it's as if, I mean, I'm very nervous about the outcome of this election. I'm sure you are too. Not because I mind if Republicans win. I want Republicans to win if they are the legitimate winners. But I'm worried about the future of the fabric of American democracy. And it seems that these MAGA Republicans are not. Well, actually, they, if, if you look at, you know, there, there's some articles like the Washington Post has run several. It says, um, you know, many, like almost all Americans are worried about the future of democracy. However, because of propaganda, Republicans think that the people taking democracy away are Democrats, that Democrats are the, the problem. And in fact, if you go on like Amazon and you look at books on authoritarianism, most of them are by people like Ben Shapiro who say the problem is left-wing authoritarianism, cancel culture. They're taking our freedoms away. That's why we have to resort to, you know, the sec, when, when they say the GOP also, the Second Amendment isn't about hunting or recreation anymore. It's about the right to rebel against a tyrannical government. So, that those are all discourses which are very disturbing to me who, you know, a third of my book is about coups. And to your initial question, like, did I ever think that um, studying coups would be relevant for the USA? No. <laughs> I mean, we have backed coups and it's in my book, like the Chilean coup. We were plenty involved with coups, but not at home. <laughs> It's a very compelling argument that they make. I mean, let's just put ourselves in the in the shoes of the average Republican voter right now. They care a lot about the economy. They care a lot about gas prices. They care a, a lot about the the you know day to day living, immigration, for example. You know, even though they might never have met an immigrant, they're being told that there's this crazy, terrible immigration problem at the border and. Again, it's just racism, really, isn't it? It's trying to say that these people are going to kind of come and, and take over the country. But the, the argument is so compelling. And a lot of these candidates, Carrie Lake is one of them, who's a former newscaster in Arizona. You know, she makes a very compelling argument. She, she comes over as intelligent. She dresses immaculately. She's, she yes. really is, you know, the type of person that the average Republican voter is going to be like, yeah, of course. I mean, she's the adult in the room. I mean, that is very dangerous, isn't it? it? It is. And and in fact, you know, the fact she was a newscaster, she absolutely knows what she's doing. Um, 
she's much more polished than some of the other people. And she makes sure to look um, beautifully dressed at all times uh, to cover up the violence of what she's saying. But to the, to the theme of um, political violence and the, the mindset of Republicans, how, how do you get people to embrace, to think that January 6th was a good idea? Um, it, you, polarization is actually just the start because polarization is when, you know, the, the, the middle, the center is less compelling and people start going toward the extremes. But often with polarization, you're still in the same frame of democratic society and you are agreeing to disagree. You just, maybe it's even us versus them. But what we've seen the Republicans have done very successfully is shade into something I call survivalism. I wrote a, a piece for MSNBC recently on this. Survivalism is not yes versus them. It's us or them. And only one of us is going to survive. So for, for many quarters, the Republicans have been preaching survivalist ideologies. One of them is great replacement theory, which can seem like a cuckoo thing, but it's, you know, Tucker Carlson mentioned it 400 times on his show. Many GOP lawmakers routinely talk about it. It's when you think that non-white births are going to extinguish the right white race. So that's an example of apocalypse. And so to get what history shows is to get people in a mindset where they are either tolerant of violence by their party or their government, or they will participate in violence, even against their own community, their own neighbors, um, like in fascist states or uh, other authoritarian regimes. You have to get them to feel that they are in mortal danger. And that's also where we slot in the immigrant. The immigrants are coming. One of, one of the, I have this in Strongman, one of the evergreen propaganda themes used by the fascists, used by, uh, you know, military dictatorships is that masses of immigrants are coming over the border to rape and kill and steal and dilute our gene pool and all the other things. And so we're seeing the uptick on that. That's a form of survivalist ideology, too. And Trump subscribes to that. He's big into eugenics. You, you heard him yeah. say it on the campaign trail many times, this idea that anybody other than the kind of white Aryan race uh, you know, or look at my friend over there. He's got good genes. Attractive women. Look at her. She's got great genes. I mean, it, it, it's it's pretty disgusting, isn't it? Yeah. And this this is also a global talking point. In fact, this is one of the most um, well-coordinated and rehearsed global talking points. And the same, the, what the Republicans are saying is the same as we hear from Orban, uh, we hear from, you know, Brexiteers. Uh, my mother has become very right wing. She lives in England. And just this morning we were on the phone and she's in a small village in Cheshire. And she kept saying, I was taking notes, immigrants pouring in, they're going to rampage, you know, through our nation, the whole thing. And then you have in Italy <clears throat> with the new government of Georgia Meloni, who comes from neo-fascism, she's actually so extreme that she says that it's all a plot by George Soros and the EU to, you know, kind of flood Europe with mass non-white immigration and ruin Italy, uh, Italy's white Christian identity. So she she doesn't even think it's just a natural process. It's be, it's a plot. There's a design. Just despite the fact that 
the, all of these countries that you mentioned have benefited hugely from immigration, not yeah. least the United States of America, which is a country of immigrants and was built by slaves and immigrants. And, and, and yet it's those white landowners that the, that the founding fathers sought to protect in the Constitution that are the ones rebelling. Yeah, and and this is why it's but it's it's this it's an incredibly compelling image, um, the idea that first coming over the border in big numbers, and second that once they're in our midst, they're not um, they're not going to you know assimilate. They're they're kind of enemies in our midst, and Trump used this very effectively from the very start of his campaign. He started talking about immigrants as, as enemies. Um, and he would do that as rallies too. And in fact, uh, every time he had a rally, there was a study in 2016, whatever county the rally was in, the hate crimes would spike after his rallies because he charged everybody up in, in part with anti-immigrant um, sentiment. And then they would go, his rally followers would go out and bash some heads or whatever. It's frightening, isn't it? Because immigrants traditionally are the ones who are most likely to assimilate. They're the ones, you know, and I, I speak from personal experience, you know, yes. once, you know, you choose to move to another country, you're either seeking asylum or, or, or freedom or safety, or you want a better life, or you want to, you know, you've got a great business idea that you want to, you know, reach a new audience with. Uh, you know, immigrants are, are the last people you would expect to actually be the ones to cause any trouble. They're, they're not the rapists and the criminals that Donald Trump suggested they were. And he's talking about, you know, he was often talking about Mexicans, which is like so offensive, you know, considering that, that so much of America is, is, you know, America and Mexico are, are one. It's, it's, it's nuts. And, and let me just go back a little bit because I want to talk about the mindset of these GOP voters, yeah. of Republican voters, because, you know, this is something when I look at the polls, I'm thinking, you know, how did this happen? How, how, how is it possible that people can be so gullible, that people can be so, um, can lack so much awareness of the greater picture, you know, looking across the world? And, and, and even, you know, Nazi Germany and using that example of how regular Germans were indoctrinated into this kind of Nazi ideology, obviously it happens. Obviously everybody is vulnerable. But are Americans, you know, there's a lot of people, 70-odd million people voted for Trump. I mean, are they really that gullible? It's, it's um, some of them believe because they are attached to Trump. And I have a line in Strongman, they believe him because they believe in him. And so the, the, one of the starting points for this was when he created his personality cult, when he created those loyalty bonds through the rallies, through the speeches, through being present, telling them he loved them. And once those bonds are formed, uh, they will believe what he says. He becomes like a semi-divinity, right? And, and then there you have, that's why I mentioned the, the assist given by religious institutions who people trust a lot. They trust, they trust their churches. And here's the church saying, you know, Donald Trump is there by the will of God. So, so that's part of it, that they're going to believe what he says because they believe in him. And then others want to believe because he did a very smart thing. He, he addressed himself to those who he called the forgotten, who were not being served by Democrats or 
you know, and other Republicans were perhaps reaching out to them, but nobody had this kind of charisma and this style of Trump. And he made them, nobody else was saying, I love you. Um, and he wasn't only telling neo-Nazis they were very fine people, he was telling regular people who were hurting from economic downturn that he was going to save them. So they wanted to believe him too. Um, how, how does that language, uh, how, how similar is that language to the language of, of dictators in history, to, to the, the Mussolini's and the Adolf Hitler's? Is, is that a similar tactic? It's, it's, it's very similar. This is the power of the personality cult. Um, and, and the other thing that's, that doesn't change is the cult of the victimhood, the victimhood of the nation that the leader tells them, you know, you, our nation is being besieged, not only by immigrants, but we're being taken advantage of. That's why we need America first. And I am also a victim. I've been victimized. And this is very effective because on the one hand, he's, you know, the strongman is like the brute. And so he's going to establish law and order. He's going to protect everyone. But he's also vulnerable because they feel they have to protect him because the, the deep state is after him. It's witch hunts against him. And, and, and this, this very, this is very effective in like a lot of women feel almost maternal feelings toward him. We have to, we have to go and save him. We have to help him. So that also is in there as, as a factor. And then the other thing with the, are, are Americans, uh, gullible? They have been subjected to an extraordinary propaganda machine on the right without, without parallel, I would say, in a democracy. Um, and with the News. help of Russia and yes. you know social media, it's 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 got into the very fabric of their of their very kind of social lives. It's it's and, it's, and, and, it's everything, isn't it? And what it's done is create. So, for example, Fox News used to have more um, Democratic guests on, and Tucker Carlson too. And as they decided to go for broke with extremism, they stopped having. Um, uh, as many, Tucker doesn't have anybody on, I think, anymore who has an opposing point of view. And so you create these silos and people go into these disinformation tunnels. Then the other part is the more the nation becomes polarized and within communities and families, everybody has a family member where they say, I can't talk to them about politics anymore. And then those people feel judged, perhaps we could say rightly, right? They're racists, right? Who, who, why shouldn't we judge them? But the net effect is they stay more with their own tribe. And there we have groups on Facebook and, you know, silos in social media, off social media. So then you get to a point where you're not hearing other points of view. And so I always advocate, especially right now, you have to reach out to friends and family who are radicalized and you can't abandon them. You can't um, be condescending to them. You have to kind of be there for them. Because I stopped talking to my mother about politics. And then I said, wait a minute, I'm doing the same error. This is So I now, <laughs> as difficult as it is, um, I try to ask her and all the studies show, you know, why do you think, you know, immigrants are ruining Britain? Um, and that way, when it's time for them, eventually they will come out of this disinformation tunnel and you'll be there as an interlocutor. But if you just cast them off, then they just 
they just uh, burrow themselves with their own tribe. I want to talk about digital illiteracy, which is something that has been thrown around recently, which is where people are not, especially older people, on this very subject of propaganda, they they are not um, educated enough in the online world that they can tell the difference between a legitimate article that's been written by a legitimate organization or a journalist that is fact-checked and, and is, you know, of value versus some deep state article they found on Rumble or something. And, and yes. so my interactions with um, people who I don't know many people who are, uh, you know, Trump supporters, but one in particular sends me links all the time. And I don't recognize these websites where these links come from. I mean, really, there is a whole parallel universe of the Internet that is, that is enabling all of this far-right propaganda. These are people that have been thrown off YouTube or thrown off of Facebook and mm -hmm. thrown off of Twitter. And, and in the same way that Trump has created Truth Social, his own town square, so he can you know shout into the void... So how serious and how important is digital literacy or illiteracy in this world? And how does it contribute to this spread of misinformation? Yeah, I'm glad you asked about that because um, it's a huge problem and it connects to something that's very typical in authoritarian states and is happening in America today and elsewhere. And that is attacks on not only journalists, not only attacks on the press, but attacks on any area of society that um, depends on facts, objectivity, and research. So we have anti-science aggression, right? Scientists, are, it's not just the vaccine scientists that we hear about a lot. It's a lot of scientists who do public health who are being attacked, um, professors, um, other kinds of researchers, uh, are, are under attack and they're trying, there's, there's this thing funded by the Koch billionaires. Um, uh, they're, uh, Turning Point USA campus reform organization called Professor Watch List. And I'm, I've been put on it uh, as a quote, radical leftist. And the, the purpose of it, um, is, is they have a big page about you. And the purpose of it is to try and get you fired. <laughs> so they invite people to complain about you. And so to silence all of these, to threaten and silence all of these areas of society that are representative of, um, Object, objective fact-based research. So, so that is all going on in many areas of society. And then you get to the problem of digital literacy. I'm very worried about um, what's going to happen to Twitter under Elon Musk, because when you there are a lot of people who are extremely qualified who are not verified. They don't have the blue check. But he wants to uh, make people pay for the blue check now and many people will, will, will not, or he'll take those blue checks away. And many, most journalists, uh, to, to go to your point, most journalists are verified. And so the public can see that they, and you get verified because of your expertise. I'm verified because of my professional expertise. If you take that away, the public, and, and Elon Musk is a far right operative, in my opinion, the public won't know who to trust. And that's, that's the 21st century playbook that is uh, Putin's creation, the Kremlin's creation, where you confuse the public. You don't just tell lies. You don't just have propaganda. You also 
debase the notion of truth so people don't know what or who to believe anymore. And Steve Bannon is a, is a great proponent of this, isn't he? Uh, mm -hmm. he? He is somebody who said very early on during his White House tenure that, you know, we're going to cause chaos. Mm -hmm. These people are, are, are desperate to bring down the institutions uh, of, of government, the, the kind of pillars of society. And, and journalism is part of that, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. They, and, and in fact, what Trump did uh, with when Bannon was his advisor, uh, starting in his campaign, was, you know, plenty of Americans didn't like immigrants. There were plenty of them were racist. They didn't like African-Americans, etc. But he added new categories of enemies. And the main one was the, the press. And at his rallies, if you recall, he penned them up so they could be taunted. And so people started chanting, lock them up. Um, that was directed to Hillary Clinton. That was also a watershed, a taboo-breaking moment when lock her up, why? Just because she's an opposition candidate. That is what authoritarians Which is what do. what Putin does. Yeah, yeah so yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what Trump did is that he really early on gave Americans this like shock, shock therapy um, breaking taboo after taboo because plenty of Americans didn't like Democrats. They maybe they hated Democrats, but they didn't say they should be locked up just because they're the political opposition. And so that's the beginning of where we get to now, years later, we've had so many years of this that now Nancy Pelosi, her husband got hit in the head with a hammer has fractured his skull because she is a Democrat and so she's a political enemy. And there are many other Democratic candidates who are being assaulted. In Pennsylvania, there was uh, Rick Ringer who's running for state a state house seat. He was knocked unconscious. These are political crimes just because these people are Democrats. And so you had it with the press. You had it extended to any democratic politician is now an enemy and thus you can use violence against them. On Wednesday night, Joe Biden gave a speech. Um, the, and he, it was an impassioned speech and it's actually come under quite a lot of criticism from even people on the left who say, you know, why would you make a speech like this so close to election day? Uh, he said it was the first national election since the events of January 6, when the armed, angry mob stormed the U.S. Capitol. He said, I wish I could say the assault on our democracy ended that day, but I cannot. I stand here today. There are candidates running for every level of office in America. Uh, they will not commit to accepting the results of the elections they're running in. This is a path to chaos in America. He said it's un-American. He said you can't love your country only when you win. Now, you know, it's, it's tragic that a U.S. president is having to use language like this to appeal to people to vote for America rather than an, an extreme alternative America, which is where, you know, and, and my fear is, and I'd be interested in your view on this, that let's say the GOP are successful in taking control of the Senate and the House, and then in 2024, Donald Trump or an equivalent takes control, we might never see elections, traditional elections in the United States ever again. I mean, is that something that we should fear? Is Joe Biden onto something here? Is he right to call it out? He's totally right. 
I'm a huge fan of Joe Biden as a, from the very second he got into, actually during his campaign even, he made it clear that he is 100% a warrior for democracy, both America as an international garden, guardian of democracy. And that's why, in fact, he was so strong on, if, you know, if I come in, America is going to be a force, a global force of democracy protection. And that's partly why Putin and she started to get together in the fall of 2021. And they were like, they were losing Trump and they were gaining somebody who was going to be a formidable adversary. And then inside America, <clears throat> he's been extremely strong as a defender of democracy. So I, I see him as saying exactly what you need to say. If you're not going to be really tough, he's, he's a plain spoken person. Um, he's a principled person. If you're not going to be very tough now, when are you going to say it? I mean, I'm very blunt when I go on TV. This is not a time to mince words. And you do have to p appeal to people's patriotism because part of the problem is they don't, many people can't conceive of what is going to happen. <laughs> Um, and I've kind of turned around my professional life and that's, I'm trying to educate the public based on my knowledge of past and present autocracy because it can happen here. And this is what it's going to look like. So I, I was very, here. I mean, we, we always talk about it like it could happen, but it yeah. already happened. You know, the election was overturned on January 6, albeit for just a few hours. There, 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 there is political violence now. There, there is widespread misinformation and propaganda. We, we keep talking about how the America could fall. But as an academic, do you see it as I do, which is it has already fallen? It's a process, right? It's always a process. And, and unless you're having a, a successful military coup, uh, where it's, it's quite instant, and even then it, it, it's a process after. But we had a coup attempt. I mean, and, and the vice president, who's a Republican, was targeted for assassination. And nobody really wants to talk about that part of it. And, and Pence, of course, won't say anything. He could, it, it's very frustrating to me because I, I know in history that certain elite, elites are very important to um, changing the tide at important moments. And if Pence would, would have spoken out or would still speak out, he could, it could be a game changer. I, I, don't, I don't like him at all. He's, he's terrible. But he could do that he, because he does have that moral authority on that one day, <laughs> January 6th. Yeah. Well, and he did yet, his job. I mean, he's being yes. celebrated for, for, for being a hero, but the guy simply did his job. Well, but he was targeted for assassination, and we now know he, he didn't want to get in the car with the Secret Service. I mean, the, the problem is, you know, when I say this again on television shows, like that he was a target for assassination, sometimes there's an awkward silence. But we have to talk about this because that's it's already happening. It's a process of autocratic capture of destroying our institutions. And Donald Trump wanted he, he came into office to destroy the institution of the presidency and, and many other institutions, too. But that's that was his goal. Um, and and his friends uh, in China and Russia fully supported that. Right. So we are living through this slow process of um, debasement of elections. And by the way, the, the big end game, <clears throat> I like to, I call my political newsletter, Lucid, big picture thinking about uh, threats to democracy. 
the end game of the big lie and election denial is to compromise the idea of elections in voters' minds, all elections, so that using elections as a way of choosing leaders doesn't seem like such a good idea to them anymore. It opens the door to other ways of having political transitions, like coup attempts or like strongman takeovers. So that's, that's again, a process as well. And that clearly is what a lot of GOP supporters want, because they've been led to believe that the existing system is so flawed and that Democrats are trying to cheat that they yes. actually think they'll be doing America a service by doing away with a traditional election because it's so underhand that we need something different that has a much clear, clearer and more defined um, winner rather than, uh, you know, votes on bits of paper. And I mean, this is beggar's belief that, that this is happening. But I don't see a, a single MAGA Republican who doesn't want elections to be over. They're sick of elections because, you know, there's a chance they might lose. Yeah. And so once you, once you, I mean, they're not going to do away with elections because even in, in Orban's Hungary, he's been there, you know, 10, over 10 years, he's had time to perfect what we call electoral autocracy because it, it, you, you really, very few places just shut down elections today. You keep them but it, going. But it, it, it's a version of elections, isn't it? It's an, it's an election yes. that works in the favor of the autocrat. So it's, it's a not sham. a traditional de yes. democratic election. No, no, it's a sham election. Right. And, and, and you stack what, what Orban has done. And I'm mentioning this because the GOP has been sitting at his feet, learning from yeah. him. And Inviting and, him and, to speak. That's right. And Bannon is also a liaison between a lot of countries and the U.S. They're learning from Orban and other places. So it's not just that you, so you, you kind of purge the system of any election workers and jet, you have to purge the judiciary because if there are cases, like look what happened after uh, 2020 in our country, 68 judges refused to do Trump's bidding because the judiciary had not yet been fully captured in America. And some of them were Trump appointees because then the, the culture of the rule of law still held, right? Now they've had extra time and they've worked very hard to make sure that that won't happen again. So in a real um, electoral autocracy, anybody who could challenge the autocratic party or the leader has been either fired or forced to resign or intimidated into doing what they need. So there is no, the system becomes very compliant Let's talk about what a sham election will look like in America, because, I mean, this is a very, very salient point. The fact that, you know, when, when I talk about the fall of democracy, I talk, in my mind, it's that your vote won't be counted anymore. That's basically how I see it. That is a very real thing. They've already taken control of the Supreme Court. We're hearing now that Clarence Thomas, his hands were all over the, the plan to overturn the election on the 6th of January. And, you know, supported by his wife and this whole kind of yeah. far right machine that they have going. What, what will a sham? Let's let's kind of throw ourselves forward a few years. What will a sham election 
controlled by the GOP look like in the U.S.? Well, first of all, it, there's, the, there's the different, you know, it's a chain of things. First of all, many people will be too afraid to go and vote because there'll be widespread voter intimidation. And I started tracking this issue of poll, work, poll watchers in 2021. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm always seeing forward um, that because of our attitude toward guns, where people can be, you know, these goons, like private citizens can be armed with military grade weapons. So it was obvious that poll watchers were going to be a kind of de facto paramilitary. So it will look like, in part, it could look like, uh, you know, in a military dictatorship or, or a, a society that has like militias going around, um, like because they've had sectarian violence. So people will be afraid to go and vote. And I was very, very worried about um, DeSantis started making these sham arrests. He's extremely dangerous individual, DeSantis, the Florida governor. And he got on the election um, fraud, you know, bandwagon very quickly because he's so ambitious. So in 2020, uh, in November, he proudly said, oh, there's no electoral fraud in Florida. You know, I run a good ship. And less than a year later, he had the first um, election integrity and election crimes office. And when that, as soon as I saw that, I said, "Uh oh, that's really bad. And he has indeed made 20 sham arrests of people. Um, and these were performative arrests just to show that he could do it. So people will be, you know, they'll be arrested for just trying to vote They'll be afraid to go to the polls. So you'll already have a selection, a a, a huge editing of the electorate. And then there's also voter repression, gerrymandering, the things that have always gone on. What will be new is, again, sham arrests. Everybody's going to, they're all going to imitate DeSantis and people will be arrested for trying to vote. Um, And he was mostly uh, African-American people he arrested. And, and so, and then even if they vote, there'll be, um, a nullification of the results, uh, uh, kind of. And, and because as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, you will have, uh, corrupt, it's corruption. The whole machine, it'll be an election system that is managed by corrupt people up through the attorney general. So there can be no recourse. So that's what it would look like. You vote, but it doesn't mean anything. I mean, just the fact that we're having this conversation, Ruth, is, is, it's, it's just too sad. I mean, it's good for you because you've got at least a dozen more books in you now that, that you, you probably weren't going to have to write. and Now you will. I mean, people are documenting what is happening in the United States now as a, as a, as a historical moment, a, a moment in, in the U.S. history yes. unlike any other. I mean, this makes Watergate look like a kind of, children's birthday party it it does and it's just it's very it's very tragic um and the wild card with respect to all the other countries is the guns the the and well the guns of private citizens and the tolerance that we have had and and january 6th was a wake-up call but uh of um militias of extremists, um, of member in Michigan in 2020, they staged a kind of mini January 6th on the Capitol and tried to kidnap the governor and it barely made front page news. 
So there's also no other country in the world, to my knowledge, tolerates these, um, these sovereign sheriffs. These are law enforcement people. They're sheriffs who don't, they don't believe in the authority of the federal government. They, and with so a country like, as spread out as the U.S. and with yes. you know state law as opposed to federal law, you do end up with these kind of mini Hitler characters. I was who, just going to—that's so funny. I was just going to say they're like little duches or little Hitlers. Yeah. So, but what other country? Again, unless it's a country racked by sectarian violence that is that has already crumbled and there's no centralized power, possibly has has tolerated these 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 people who are subversives they are subversives and yet that's the they are the sheriffs so between yeah. them the extremist groups the militias the radicalized de facto paramilitaries that are thriving within department of homeland security <laughs> and and the individual uh citizens who have arsenals of thousands of weapons. That is the wild card. Um, no other country in the world, to my knowledge, that's a democracy or a stable in peace. Let's, let's put it this way. No other country in peacetime has possibly such, has, has such a situation. So and there's no, I'll, I'll there's no going off. back now, is there? I mean, once the, once the toothpaste is out the tube, there is no going back. And, and my fear is that it's all very well, you know, is talking about, well, who's going to win? Well, you know, Democrats are pro-choice. And so, you know, if you're pro-choice, vote for them. And if, you, if you're, you know, all about gun ownership, then vote for Republicans. It's not as simple as that. You know, that's like old-fashioned traditional politics where you looked at policy and you go, you either take that lot or you take that lot. We have a whole new landscape now where it's, yes. the confusion of election denial and does my vote count and, and I am fighting for the, you know, my freedom and all this stuff. It's like, wow, this is, this is another generation of, of uh, it's not even called democracy anymore, is it? It's like a fight to retain some sense of civility and normality in a, in a country of 330 million people. It is. And um, if the Republicans uh, start sacking the state, because we also this is also a kind of, um, you know, just as Brexit was like a kind of elite plutocratic, you know, maneuver, this faux populism, we could see that really sacking Social Security, plundering the state and plunging America into true hardship. Um, but I also think to be optimistic for a moment. There are cycles, and I never underestimate the American people um, and the power of protest. We, nobody saw coming the, um, the march on the Women's March, which was the largest march in American history, and it sent thousands of women into politics. It influenced the 2018 elections. And then two years later, in a pandemic, once again, the largest social protest movement in American history, 20 million people were part of Black Lives Matter, and it directly affected the election. Now, I know that many states have already criminalized protest, right? Yes. And that's going to continue. But this, the cycles are such, and look what's happening in Iran. 
Um, look what happened in Chile. In 2019 was a record year around the world for protests. So uh, Americans are not going to just sit at home and take this. There's going to be uh, uh, big social movements that will develop. That's my, that's my prediction. Now, what will happen then, I do not know, but um, it won't descend into kind of everybody intimidated into silence. I don't see that happening in this country. The, the, the guns thing is obviously quite serious. And, and my prediction is that, you know, the, the civil war will end up being a war of states. So you'll end up having migration of, of, of people who are Republicans moving to majority Republican states and, and Democrats moving out of Republican states or LG, LGBTQ people moving out of friendly. states mm-hmm. that are, you know, and moving to places that are more friendly. And places like California will help facilitate that. Because they have a budget mm-hmm. surplus and they'll say, OK, you know, we'll come and set you up here. I mean, that's my long term prediction for it. I've been saying it for a while and I feel I feel like states will end up being patrolled by these amateur militia with their with their weapons and their costumes that they buy. So they look like they're in the military when they're not. I mean, mm-hmm. we we really could see this kind of state warfare. Um and there are people who are kind of encouraging this. I want to talk about one person specifically. Uh, this is Mark Fincham, who is the Republican nominee for Arizona Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would actually, if he wins, it would make him Arizona's chief election official. He's a member of the Oath Keepers. He was mm-hmm. at the he was at the U.S. Capitol on January six. He introduced a resolution earlier this year to decertify the election. In 2020, he was one of several lawmakers who signed a joint resolution asking Congress to reject electors for Joe Biden. And, you know, he is one of these people that is effectively, uh, he's like the last person you would ever want to put in elected office. He is a dangerous, violent person. And yet it looks like he could win. Yes, he. this is so when a, when a party is becoming... Um, I wrote an op-ed about this for the LA Times. When a party is changing into an autocratic party, you look at who's being bumped out, and those are moderates, people upholding the rule of law. They're either, you know, like losing their elections, like Liz Cheney, or they're resigning, retiring. And who's coming in? That's the important part. And ever since fascism, these parties have encouraged criminals and extremists to come into their ranks, because if you're trying to um, shift the political culture toward violence and corruption, you need people like Mark Fincham, who are already violent and corrupt. And so it makes sense that the extremists that the GOP always tolerated, you know, very few people uh, know or realize that um, Trump and many GOP candidates were using Oath Keepers and Proud Boys as security at their rallies for yeah, four Stone, years. for example. Yeah. For, not just him, but like lots of people. And Trump yeah. was using them. So they had this arrangement, but now the extremists are actually becoming the GOP. They are the politicians. And Mark Fincham, I always use him as an example because he's one of the most outspoken. So in the new GOP, being a violent criminal is a badge of honor. And that's why Kyle Rittenhouse um, became like celebrated and everybody wanted to have him as their intern. So unfortunately, looking back in history, like the Nazis at the very beginning were always um, 
they would go through the, the jails and they would recruit criminals and give them important positions, like somebody who was convicted of bribery became part of the Nazi labor front because he was skilled at, at getting bribes, etc. And of course, Italian fascism, all the black shirts who were specialized in violence, who got Mussolini to power, they were all given important positions in the bureaucracy or they became officials because they knew how to do fascist things, you know, like kill people, order people killed, you know, extort money, all of those things. Well, they've proved so, themselves to be strong and they've yes. proved themselves. And, and Karl Rittenhouse earned his stripes because he took a, a weapon and went into the middle of a BLM protest and, and, and executed it. And then. That's right. So you think, what are, the, what are the qualities that are desired in a politician? And they're violence and corruption and lawlessness. Um, I, it sounds very bleak, but that's just how it is. And um, it's, believe me, having written Strongman and looked at the terrifying things that happen, not just with fascism, but in my, my case study of Chile, where the military was like, we're not going to succumb to a coup like all these lawless countries around us, like Bolivia. We're not like them. You know, we're all for the Constitution. We're upstanding. And then the whole society, starting with the armed forces, just corroded. Um, and they became torturers and murderers. And, and so it can happen. And so imagine having written all this and seeing people like Mark Fincham now being lionized um, and perhaps have a very important position inside one of our only two big parties. It's, it's a nightmare. I ironically, the one person who is not physically violent is Donald Trump. I mean, he really is a blob, isn't he? He's not <laughs> the kind of person, even though they project images of him looking like Rambo, he, he actually is very weak. You know, he, he talks the talk, but he can't walk the walk. So he relies on these extremists and the militia and these others to do his bidding. My final question to you is about political violence, because we've mentioned Paul Pelosi. Now, that attack was meant for Nancy Pelosi. That, that guy who is, we've now discovered, is a Canadian immigrant who was actually overstaying his visa. Uh, he was saying, you know, where's Nancy Pelosi? He was trying to finish the job that wasn't done mm -hmm. on January 6th, right? David DePap, his name is. He's now facing multiple federal and state charges. Uh, he assaulted Paul Pelosi with a hammer, as, as we said earlier. This is only going to get worse, isn't it? And had Paul Pelosi have died that would have been like a, a sacrificial moment in this timeline where, where political violence really now, you know, we've seen violence in America, obviously. We see school shootings and, and we see mass shootings every week. But political violence, it, this is really the cherry on the top for the GOP, isn't it? Yes, everything leads up to this. And January 6th was a huge taboo breaker we really can't be overstated, um, where people came in there and they wanted to kidnap and kill lawmakers and they erected a noose for us, for Mike Pence, a Republican. So it's very important that although t the violence right now is directed against uh, Democrats and uh, Pelosi, the Democratic Speaker of the House, but once political violence uh, starts to spiral, 
Um, we saw with the rhino where movement where, you know, we have to hunt down these uh, Republicans only in name. It's hard to know where it goes. There's like it, it can take over and have a logic of its own. That's what happens in regimes. That's why you get these kind of purges and great terrors in, in Stalinism and, you know, that where you have full on totalitarian regimes. But the, this this will uh, continue um, in part because of the indoctrination of Republicans and lone wolf actors that if we don't do something, the country will be in ruins. The Democrats are tyrants who are ruining us, all of the survivalist stuff. And, and the, fa Trump the failure to, of condemning this, you know, no GOP candidate That's or senior it. GOP person has condemned this violence. And this is this is immeasurably sad because some of these GOP lawmakers have worked with Pelosi for decades. And so it is a failure of bipartisanship. It's a failure of um, it's a failure of it's an acknowledgement that you want to destroy the whole institution of American democracy, not speaking up in public to condemn this is 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 it's unthinkable unless you have already exited democracy and you have become a violent authoritarian party okay ruth ben gatt thank you so much for joining us and i maybe we'll speak on the other side of the midterms in in, in, a, yes. in a few months time and once all the votes have been counted and we'll we'll see whether america rose to the occasion or not or whether they chose fascism over freedom Yes, sounds good. Okay. All the very best to you. Um, don't forget to subscribe to The Weekend Show on YouTube or as an audio podcast. And also the 5-Minute News daily podcast, which drops every morning so you can listen while you make your coffee. I'm Anthony Davis. Join me next week with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on The 5-Minute News Weekend Show with Midas Touch. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.